in this episode, how much smaller can you make your footprint? And then resources at the edge? And is that data really valuable? gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey folks, before we get into our guests, you know the drill. Leave me a review. This is a new show. We're trying to grow the show and all of our other new shows, which by the way, we just launched a soft launch of Oil & Gas Offshore, so that's going to be a really cool show. But go to iTunes, take a couple minutes, leave me a review. It helps your peers find the really good podcasts such as this one. We got a review right here. Great show. It's from the U.S. by One's Instination. Mark, you're awesome at taking complicated information and turn it into understandable content. Love being able to stay on top of the latest oil and gas technology. Thank you. No thank you, One Instinct Nation. If you want a shout out like they got, leave me a review. This is going to be an interesting show because this show is sponsored by Nutanix. And if you need help modernizing your data center and running applications at any scale, on-prem or in the cloud, these are the folks you want to talk to, and I'm actually sitting here with Jeremy Ross with Nutanix. How are you doing today, Jeremy? Good, Mark. How are you? Awesome. What do you think of the Canon? Isn't this a cool place? It is a very cool place. First time here, and I have to say it's very impressive. Yeah, I think it's the premier co-working space in the Houston area, maybe even in Texas. So if you need a co-working space, go check them out. So, Jeremy, we're going to talk a little bit about SCADA environments, but before we get to SCADA environments... How did you get into this business? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I was always fascinated by what technology enabled, you know, and as I began to explore that and decided I wanted to dedicate my career to it, you know, that like they say, the rest is history. For the last 15 years of my career, I've been working with large oil and gas companies, basically doing things both inside their data center as well as out at the edge and the cloud as well. And so it's been an interesting ride to say the least. So, Jeremy, when I think of SCADA, I think of old-fashioned analog circuits used to control stuff, like pipelines, process controllers, that sort of stuff. That world has changed, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been changing quite a bit. What's been interesting to see is the, the basic function of what SCADA systems do is still relatively the same. I mean, they're, they're advancing along like anything else, but you're seeing an evolution in terms of more dependency upon IT capabilities, things that we've been doing in IT for a very long time you're seeing a need for that out in the environments where SCADA lives, basically. Yeah, so what are some of those things that, that they need? Yeah, so, you know, as as you begin to amass more and more amounts of data, because at the end of the day, that's what these environments are doing, they're creating a large amount of data over time, you need to be able to manage and manipulate that as easily as possible. And you need to be able to ask questions of that data as well. And with that comes a new set of challenges, right? And so virtualization capabilities are starting to become more and more of a topic of discussion because it enables some of that movement of data, management, manipulation of data, but then also security. You know, we've always cared about security to the utmost degree, but there's new ways to approach security. And then there's also greater threats that have kind of emerged. And so it's how do you address all of that while the wheels are moving on the bus, right? Yeah, it's a, we've talked about this before the show. It's really interesting. In the old days, if you wanted to hack a pipeline, you would have to drive out to the pipeline, scrape the wires off the installation, attach the allocator clips, right? Now that it, everything is IP or internet protocol traffic, you have much more doorways for the bad guys to enter. Yeah, exactly. They don't physically have to be there. That's right. right. And so it's really interesting for me to watch IT security or cybersecurity go from being something that only the CIO knew about. Now the business understands it because 
when you're an uh, owner of a piece of pipeline in, in Texas somewhere and somebody shuts it down because they hacked it, all of a sudden you want to know how it happened, how to prevent it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So the attack surface has gotten larger to your point. And at the same time, there's, there's a lot of different ways to approach how you address that that traditionally hasn't really been looked at in the OT realm, right? And so it's looking at what's out there and how best to put that together and then coming up with a good game plan on how to bring that into these environments that's really the key yeah and we talked about virtualization early on virtualization has been a boom but it's also been a, a bit of a you know something that can hurt you come back and bite you in the butt right i know large organizations that just a few years ago had virtualized environments and they didn't know how many virtualized servers they had in their environment that's scary. Well, sure. I mean, anything that's kept ill-managed is going to sprawl and, and, and grow. And, and, you know, it really requires a lot of discipline to manage it over time. But yes, you know, if not, not kept up with, it can cause a new, a new problem. <laughs> yeah. And you, you talked a little bit about the old ways of doing business. We talked about virtualizations. So one of the things that used to be happen, actually I say used to happen, it's still happening out in West Texas, is the fact that a lot of these controls are sitting on some laptop somewhere, right? For the process controls, for the SCADA systems. So they're not uniform, right? And a lot of the actual controllers don't have any type of authentication, right? So if you have the right software to talk to them, you can just talk to them and do whatever you want. But when you start virtualizing that world, you can fix a lot of that, even if the process controller is a dumb piece of metal. That's exactly right. Yeah, the, the actual process controller, the PLCs, the RTUs, you know, those are generally the same. You know, like I'm not talking about much changing there, but what it traditionally connects back into at some point is a Windows desktop. Or, or something that's just been out there for an incredibly long period of time and is not really, I, I would say, kept up with very much. And what you can do at this point is come in and look at, well, if I were to implement a virtualization strategy with this, how much smaller could I make this footprint, given that I'm in a temporary building or a shack somewhere? What could I do to logically separate these workloads for security reasons and so on, right? Virtualization is at the foundation of all of that. So being able to look at it from that perspective and, and consider how can we do this in such a way that gives us a net gain at the end of it all is really, really the key. So you're not saying that oil and gas people are still one running XP, are you? I decline comment on that. I'll answer that. Yes, they still are. It cracks me up sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, if we take, let's call that a legacy architecture. Let's say if we have a control system running Windows XP or and nothing against Microsoft, we love y'all, but running legacy software, you have at some point the companies no longer support that legacy software. That's right. And that's when you start running the problems. But what you're telling me that if I lay, add a layer of virtualization over that, I can kind of fix some of those things? Yeah, in a sense. So what, what I'm more kind of expressing is if you think about the flow of that data from the, the different sensors, the different devices, it's going to eventually come back to a barrier box that traditionally is going to have what typically is a lot of serial connections, serial cable connections from that barrier box into some desktop or some machine that can receive a, a serial connection, right? And so it seems like they've always been kind of trapped in this catch-22 that says, well, the data is coming to me via a serial cable, so I need a, a system that will receive a serial cable, a physical cable connection. When you virtualize this technology, well, you can do things like even virtualize that serial connection and have it applied to a virtual desktop. Well, at that point, you don't necessarily need that old physical desktop that has this old physical serial connection port. You can virtualize all that and run it on much newer hardware that has much greater processing power and then brings with it more storage capacity, which is what you need. You've yeah. got to be able to do the compute and the storage piece further and further out into the field than ever before, right? 
That so, is really cool. So you're you're virtualizing the old connector system, that's right. right? That the the components needed to see, but physically it's not really there anymore. Correct. Yeah. But by doing that, you're able to bring that legacy piece of that architecture and attach it to modern processing, storage, exactly. cybersecurity, all that sort of stuff. That's right. So you're trying, you know, with with the virtualization push, what we're trying to do is extend that as far out into the edge as we can, as securely as possible to unlock the power of what's needed, which is a mass amount of data and, you know, more compute power. You know, these old desktop computers are not going to be able to deliver that. And so, you know, rather than continuing down that path, if we can virtualize it and do things like present a virtual serial connection over IP, now we're able to do something that we never thought before, right? Yeah, so, so. the benefit for the company then is you don't have to forklift legacy systems correct you literally just put another layer on top of it and then are able to modernize what you do with that data yes that's it you're and you're able to modernize what's underneath it in terms of the additional resources that you're going to have to have there at the edge so that's it and, and then with that again you know i keep saying that phrase but with that comes the ability to secure this in ways that have been needed for a very long time with software enablement, you can accomplish it and do it in a very meaningful and, and, and controlled way, if you think of it that way. Yeah, it is interesting to, to watch my industry go from everything has to be behind my firewall mm -hmm. to we love cloud because of the scalability and cost savings. But security is different on-prem than it is in the cloud. It, mm -hmm. It's not one's better. Actually, I think cloud is better if, if you really want to get down to the nuts and bolts, but it's different than what's on-prem. And so companies have to realize there's a difference. You can be as secure, if not more secure with your data in the cloud than you have if you had everything behind your firewall. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what the data is and, and how you're approaching it, but yeah, it's certainly possible. What I begin to think about some of the projects that we've worked on in the past have been bringing things like micro-segmentation into the picture. So a lot of companies that manage a SCADA environment, they have to adhere to some sort of a cybersecurity reference architecture. Right. So you've got levels zero through five with a DMZ in the middle, and certain devices absolutely cannot talk to the internet. Other devices can, but with certain limits. Through the use of software now, you can put security policies, virtual firewall policies around these workloads and honor that reference architecture, but do it with software where you can guarantee that even down to the port level, one machine can only talk to this machine over this port or not at all, depending on what the requirements are. And as you move up those levels of security, you can start to open up that security policy in a way that makes sense. Yeah, so you're removing vulnerabilities using software that before you would have been, if you could remove it, would be a hardware solution. That's right. Yeah. In fact, it's kind of the old analogy between if you're protecting the perimeter, you know, trying to create a moat, you know, that's what your firewall typically would do. But what happens when someone breaches the moat, right? Well, they're in. Right. <laughs> and so with software or with micro-segmentation, you're able to create multiple logical boundaries inside the, the perimeter, which lowers your attack surface, also gives you more control over what communicates with what, when, where, and how which is what the Nutanix platform does with our software. So Yeah, I want to get back to that second. It's so funny, you said DMZ, and I know that's demilitarized zone. I've learned that somewhere. Yeah. I, for the life of me, can't remember what that actually is, but I know what the name of it is, which is funny. Sure, yeah, no, well, it's the jump-off point where the internet can come in contact with parts of an environment or a network that is maybe more secure, right? It's kind of that area where you have a little more flexibility if you're going down through the security layers 
to give access, so like you know, remote access to a system, for example. You could come in through the DMZ. That's the place where you could come in. And then from there, you have a few hops to get into some of the devices that cannot touch the internet. So basically, like it's that. a door that you're controlling. Essentially. Yeah. yeah, that's one way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's get back to how Nutanix touches this, because I think this is really cool, because one of the things I think I love about y'all is y'all's ability to do this sort of stuff so much more quickly than the oh, ways yeah. of doing stuff. Most definitely, yeah. So that's really what our company was born out of, was the idea of looking at how things have been done and asking, is there a simpler way? You know, is there a way, you know, the, the CEO of our organization will often refer to what we do as making infrastructure invisible. Now, obviously you don't make infrastructure invisible, but what you do is you wipe away the overhead that's associated with it so that you don't have to think about it, right? That's kind of the idea behind the phrase. And so the Nutanix platform essentially is an approach to go into taking things that have traditionally been very complex, difficult to manage, a lot of operational overhead associated with it and making that as incredibly simple as possible to the point that you don't compromise performance or security, but don't have to carry all that overhead in order to achieve that. Yeah, and that hence the reason we're probably talking about SCADA because SCADA probably fits perfectly in that bullseye. It does. Yeah, so what I've had a lot of fun doing in the field here in Houston is going into those environments that quite frankly, you know, if you work in the world of IT, a lot of these principles have been at work for a number of years now, right? But when you cross over into that OT boundary, it's like the wild, wild west. And, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. It's just they don't live in the world of IT. And so they're not aware of some of the things you can do or why you should do them. And in some cases, how you would do it. And so it's fun for me to go in there, having that in my background, carry those principles forward. And to your point, that's a target rich environment where there's, you know, quite frankly, a lot of complexity, a lot of dated infrastructure and just things that are in use. And being able to come in and paint a picture and design against and even go and prove out how you can do that very thing. You can gr provide greater security, do it in a simpler way, and create the two key things, more compute power and more storage capacity out on the edge. It goes beyond that, but at the core, that's what you're really trying to do. Yeah, and it's, what's really fascinating is, is, is as an industry, we are now realizing that the data that we have historically collected for decades is actually worth something. Yeah. The problem is it's siloed, right? It's dirty. And being able to actually do something with it takes some work ahead of time. And that work used to be labor intensive. I mean, literally, it's it's really cool for me to watch you know, a, a data scientist a couple of years show me some really great results doing some big data analytics. But what he didn't show me is the team of 17 people that spent three weeks cleaning up Excel spreadsheets so that's they right. could feed that data so true. into the analytics, right? That's very and that's, right. Yeah. that's an important differentiator there. I do want to talk a little bit more about the SCADA stuff because SCADA is so prevalent. Oh, I guess. Can we actually talk through maybe a real use case? Like, don't mention client names. Sure. Can we talk about how you how you came in and how you helped a client with the SCADA? Yeah, I've actually kind of already been doing that slightly there, but I'll, I'll go into it a little bit more. So, you know, when you when you go out into the field, maybe at a rig site, land-based in this example, and as you go into that environment, you know, one of the first things that, that struck me and, and would anyone else that's not used to working in an environment like that was just how old, you know, some of the equipment was and then asking the question, well, why? Why would we need to support this old desktop, for example? And it really comes back to the challenge that I mentioned, which is all of this sensor data is coming over and cross-connecting into this, you know, barrier box mounted on the wall and then feeding that data into various systems in this temporary shack so that an operator can look at it and, and help make decision, right? They're looking at, is everything operating as it should? Is something, has something been compromised? So on and so forth. And being able to go in and essentially create virtual desktops 
with those physical desktops and bringing in, you know, virtual serial connectivity over IP so that that sensor data can still flow through the way it always has and doing it in a way that when your operator sits down to her keyboard or his keyboard and mouse and it looks and feels exactly the same, meaning there's no training that needs to go on to the operator. It still looks and feels like it did before, but everything behind it's been virtualized. In that case, we were also able to bring in some zero clients. So when you imagine, you know, three and a half racks of gear in a temporary building, that's not really the best environment to have, you know, racks and racks of computer equipment and bringing that down into about, I don't know, four or five rack units, you know, shrinking that's it down. Huge. That's tremendous. The right? heat difference. That's what people don't difference. understand. That's the amount exactly. of heat those things pump out. That's right. Because when you, when you software define these elements, it has a tremendous impact on the density that you can achieve and just how much and there's a physical aspect, but then there's also the, the software enablement piece of it, which are the things we talked about. Like you mentioned the value of the data. One of the things that we are able to unlock in, in these types of environments is the ability to as far out to the edge as you can go, giving, you know, whether it's a software developer or an operator, whoever it may be, the ability to ask questions of the data in near real time and sometimes that question is just, is this data valuable to us or not? If it's not, I want to discard it. I don't want to own the overhead of trying to bring it in and take it somewhere if it's not valuable to me. So asking the questions at the edge, if it is valuable, coming up with a data pipeline that brings it from there all the way back to the public cloud, your data center, a combination of both. I mean, every company's different in terms of how they approach that. But at the end of the day, that data has to move seamlessly from end to end. And... You know, traditionally, that's a pretty big challenge, and the Nutanix platform opens that wide up. So, yeah, the other thing that is important about this is, especially when you talk about from the field, you know, a lot of places on land, as you referenced, especially like in the Permian, there's not a lot of connectivity. No. So, if you let the device do the crunching of the numbers at the rig and then only take the bits that you've deemed yeah, important, that's it. You don't need all this bandwidth, right? You're not paying for all this bandwidth, and you also get that data quicker, and you're getting just what you need. Exactly, right? So, our platform opens up the ability for a developer to query that data in such a way that they can make that decision before they ever really even do anything with the information. If it's valuable, let's do something with it. If it's not, let's not. Because if you imagine, you know, I think the statistics I last saw were if you were to add up the three major public cloud providers, GCP, Azure, and, and AWS, that's somewhere in the ballpark of 35 million servers, nodes is how I typically refer to them. There's already about 4 billion devices on the edge, which dwarfs all the server nodes that are in these three behemoth public cloud providers. And, you know, that number is estimated to double over the next couple of years, you know, north of 7 billion, you know, 7, 8 billion devices. Those are the servers. Those are little nodes with some compute, some RAM, and a little bit of storage. And that environment is growing exponentially faster than what's happening in the data center or the public cloud. So thinking this through and trying to get out ahead of it is really what most of my time is spent doing because that's where the data is going. You know, there's a center of gravity that is associated with data and it's hard to move data. Latency, you know, bandwidth, all the things you just mentioned. So being able to figure out how to make decision on that information sooner than later is becoming of the utmost importance. Yeah. And the other thing I think that's really cool about this is let's say you have a client and y'all work with them and y'all figure all this stuff out and you implement everything. Now, because it's a virtual implementation, it's now easy to move. So if you want to replicate it anywhere in the world, it's, it's, it's exactly. a button push. It's, it's mobile. It's mobile. That's exactly right. And, and another nice thing, you know, 
when you look at the public cloud, right, there's reasons why you might want to use one versus another. And it's not the IaaS capabilities, right? It's not the ability to spin up a virtual machine. It's the application services that they've built inside their ecosystem. And some have great services in category A and others have great services in category B. What we pride ourselves on is being able to provide the data pipeline in which the transmission of this information flows. But if you want to bring in TensorFlow from GCP and, and have that as part of your runbook on what you're doing with this data, fantastic. We allow you the ability to bring in those cloud services. Maybe it's you know something on the AWS platform or Azure, whatever the case may be, being able to work that into that flow is really you can't be limited or locked in, I guess is my point. And we're flexible in the sense that we try to give you that optionality so that you can take advantage of whatever the goodness is with whoever's providing it. So you're a cloud agnostic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We want you to be able to use whichever cloud makes the most sense for what you're trying to do. Whereas if you go all in with one, as great as some of their services may be, you're kind of stuck with what they have on their platform. We open that up for you. We almost kind of refer to it at times as hyper-converging the clouds to where you're just picking and choosing what makes sense and going from there. And I knew that was a tagline on your website. I never knew what it, now that's it makes it. total sense, that's hyper-convergent. It. Yeah, I'm glad you caught that. Yeah, that's, so that is one of the ways we refer to it is, you know, we did it in the, in the data center and now we're doing it beyond it, the data center, multiple data centers, now multiple clouds. It's amazing what you can do with software enablement and that's one example. And then the other thing that just popped in my head is as y'all have this virtualized environment laying over everything, whether it's different cloud providers or legacy systems, hardware, software, whatever, you're also generating data, right? Mm -hmm. And that data has to be super valuable as well, right? Because I've seen companies architecture before, back before there was virtualization, where they had all this server horsepower, like retail. It's Christmas is coming. We have online presence. We think we need this much processing power to handle this much. But if they had your layer on it, you could actually tell them, we know exactly how many cycles we ran here. We know exactly oh, yeah. how many hits we had here. And so then your your own platform could help optimize their use of your own platform. That is such a good point. And it's very true. So, you know, historical data has a tremendous value associated with it, right? So being able to look back and say, how did resource allocation unfold over a period of time, right? And and whether you have peak seasons that are on a monthly basis, quarterly, yearly, whatever it may be, we absolutely enable the ability to go back and look at that. And, you know, you don't even have to add resources, you know, on-prem as we often look at it, but we now have the ability to extend out and, you know, run our software in AWS and hibernate that cluster in the event that you need it later, you resume it and use that SS compute power for those peak seasons rather than trying to manage and manipulate all that yourself in your own data center or co-location facility. And so a lot of it's predicated on being able to look back at what's been going on, when those peak seasons are, and how that information needs to be supported and, and deciding based on that. So. It's a darn shame we don't have more time because everything you say makes me think of something else. So the next thing you think of... <laughs> Is, you know, in my industry, uptime is vitally important, not just from a revenue point of view, from an HSE or health safety environment point of view. So one of the things that you do is you in- inherently enable business continuity and disaster recovery because you can literally take a clone of what you're doing and physically have it in another location, another set of virtualized servers. And now you can fail over with it, probably not a hiccup. That's exactly right. Yeah, we have it native into our platform, the ability to, you know, replicate and then not only fail over, but then fail back in the event of the unforeseen, right? Something bad that happens. So that's exactly. Jeez, uh, you keep making me think more and more stuff. So a lot of this industry has manufacturing capacity, right? Yep. We subsea manufacturers, whatever. 
Well, imagine if you're rubbing global manufacturing and you lose your data pipe between, you know, between here and the UK or whatever. But what you're telling me is that the subset would then run itself and whenever connectivity was resumed, it would sync back up again and, and you're fine. That's right. Yeah. So we give, we, we have the ability to automate that failover. I mean, the failover process is, is a given, right? If something bad happens, I need to be able to get back up in, in whatever the time I've set for my business. But some, most of the time, the tricky part is failing back, right? So now I've got new data on the secondary side. We enable the ability to automate the fail back process so that everything's in sync back in production once everything's back as it should be. So. This is fascinating stuff. Oh, it really is. I mean, I could spend hours. We're getting close to we're running out of time here. One little less thing. So we talked a whole bunch about cybersecurity. We talked about disaster recovery, failover. We talked about the virtualized environment, SCADA and all that stuff. But after this conversation with you, the one thing I see is what you're really doing is enabling oil and gas companies to produce and produce reliably, predictably, and you're keeping those aha costs out of it. So you're actually lowering the cost of production. That's exactly right. Lowering costs is critical, especially in oil and gas, right? Anything that we can do as an organization to help lower the cost associated with extracting natural resources from the ground, that's what we focus on, right? We know we play a role in that and we need to honor it. And so... Software enablement is one of the most powerful ways to do that as an organization. And so going into areas that have either not been looked at it a long, in a long time or just going at it with a new thought process, just being willing to critique what you're doing and see is there a better way or is there a more powerful way we could do it? That's what we really pride ourselves on being able to do. And, you know, the Nutanix operating system is a platform. So it can mix and morph into a number of different things needed based upon the use case and the business outcomes that we're trying to achieve. So that's the fun part for me is having this software platform that can really address a number of different things and being able to focus in on something that's valuable for a business and then going and figuring out a way to support or enable that. But you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. The final thing I'm going to leave our audience with is one of the things I love about Nutanix, even though they have to sell stuff to survive, they're not, a, they don't come across as a sales organization. They come across as like somebody just wants to see if they can help you fix problems, right? That's it. Yeah. The first engagement is like, what's going on in your world? Not how much, how much budget do you have? No, no, yeah. not at all. I mean, we have to prove it every day. We've kind of taken the market by storm and you know, there's, there's legacy providers out there. They do a lot of great stuff. Don't, don't get me wrong, but simplicity is often elusive with with the way we've always done things and that's where we really shine and and the world's got to get simpler you yeah. know it can't get any more difficult and so it is about being curious and trying to figure out how we can drive value through aligning with the business i mean that really is it yeah, this is awesome yeah. all right we got to weave our way out here got to pay the bills so real quick this is the time when we do the product reviews so jeremy See this? Yes, sir. Do you spend a lot of time on Instagram? Oh, uh, yeah, not much. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this is really cool. So this actually, if you in a low light situation, powered up, it fits over your camera. And so now you have light when you want to take pictures or shoot movies. Well, and it's, look at that. Isn't that cool? That is very cool. Yeah, so this is the Actua Clip-On Selfie Ring Light. Now, this is the second one they sent me. The first one they sent me about a year ago had batteries in it. This one's rechargeable. The other thing I like about it is you can vary the light intensity. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if you're a big gram people out there, if you do a lot of selfies, whatever, check this thing out. It's, there's a link in the show notes. It's like 12 bucks. It's, it's darn well worth it. It's really cool. It looks really goofy when people walk by, but it allows you to take good pictures, especially in a low light situation. Next thing, hear me talk about the street team. Go join. Check it out on Facebook, OGN Street Team. It's our volunteer group globally. We're up to about 500 people now. All we ask is an hour's worth of work a week, and if you can't do it, we get it. Life gets in the way, and you're really just helping us with our social, helping us spread the word. But if you're in one of the geographic areas where we're attending a conference, you get to come with 
with us as press. If you're in one of the areas where we have our happy hours, you get to come as free. You get some cool swag. So go join. We love our street team. And the BCD Travels, our travel provider of choice. They make our oil and gas traveling life so much easier. And Jeremy, you know what they're doing for us? What's that? They're giving away free coffee. You don't have to Very win it. Very nice. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's a link in the show notes. Go sign up. You get a Starbucks virtual gift card to get free coffee because they love our audiences. And then speaking of people that love our audiences, Nutanix enables IT teams to build and operate highly automated private hybrid clouds. Plus, they understand the business of all the gas. And you know what Nutanix is doing? And you don't know this because you work for the company, but you probably haven't been told this yet. You're actually giving away our audience, helping to give away these really cool, awesome JBL flip floor Bluetooth speakers. Look at that. Very nice. Yep. Yeah. So we're giving away one a week. So all you do is you go to the link in the show notes, sign up. If you want to try to write it down, it's Nutanix.com forward slash OG Tech Podcast. But it's easier just go to the show notes, register, win. Good luck with that. It's really cool y'all are doing that. And then while you're online, go to the website, give us your email address. It's allinggastechpodcast.com. We promise not to spam you. We just let you know about new stuff we're doing. And then while you're online, finally go to the LinkedIn group. My marketing team has grown that LinkedIn group to a tremendous companion to this show and to all of our other shows. Jeremy, this has been incredibly awesome. I mean, I could have spent hours talking I to you agree. about this. This was we too short. We need to come back yeah. later and do this again. Happy to. If people wanted to learn more about Nutanix, where should they go? Yeah, I mean, uh, Nutanix.com is the web address. And if it's oil and gas specific, you can go to our solutions tab and you can find some great information there. And then for me personally, if anyone would like to connect, I'm on LinkedIn, Jeremy Ross. And I'm happy to, to keep the conversation going. So. Yeah, we'll put links to all that in the show notes so you can just click on it. Jeremy, man, thank you much, so much for your time. I know you got to get out of here. Folks, we're making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events on deck. Hey guys, Alex here with the events on deck for December. We'll be having two OGGN happy hours to kick off 2020. One will be in January in Houston. We have not announced the date yet, but we'll get back with you guys soon on that. And we will be having our first happy hour in Pittsburgh in February 2020, also with the date coming soon. So stay tuned on those. Upcoming events include the Bells of Houston, a masquerade, unmasking the stigma of PTSD. This will take place on December 5th in Houston. The Latin America Oil and Gas Summit is December 5th and 6th in Uruguay. The API Energy Houston Chapter General Meeting will be held on December 11th, 2019 in Houston. The Wildcatters Ball is taking place on February 7th, 2020 in Houston. And lastly, the IPAA Leaders Industry Luncheon will be held on December 11th in Houston. That's all of the events for this month, guys. Be sure to tune in at the beginning of January to see what's happening then. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.